CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. And welcome back, my golfing friends, to another episode of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week is Mr. Terry Kaler of Edison Wedges. Terry, it's great to have you on. No, it's great to be here, Dan. I mean, the Hackers Paradise community has always been close to me, and um, you guys do great things, and and so it's fun to be on. You know, when you see Terry Kaler, or some might see it as Terry Kohler, as you mentioned already, correct me before I made the mistake myself, uh, it's a name that has been recognized as being a part of some pretty significant products that we've discussed on the THP forum. Uh, way back in the score golf days, I really remember some of those wedges coming out and just being super cool. Uh, ben Hogan, can you share with us a little bit about your history and, and what got you to the point where you're at Edison Wedges? Well, yeah, I mean, the kind of the the brief history, I've been in the golf industry 40 years. I got involved uh, actually running an ad agency in San Antonio and got involved with Ray Cook Butter Company in, in uh, 79, 80. Um, that led me to meet some great small golf companies, Joe Powell Golf and Odie Chrisman and and uh, and companies like that. And uh, just had a, a, a wonderful opportunity to learn from some of these masters that were designing and building golf clubs before we had launch monitors and before we had CAD. And, you know, we were seat of the pants, you know, to build golf clubs and uh, persimmon woods, forged irons and so from there, I got really interested in in design and how golf clubs functioned and and did my first putter design in the mid-80s, a putter called the Destiny, and got out on the PGA Tour and got some usage out there. met some great guys, Paul Azinger, Robert Wren, you know, people that, that I got to know well and continued my learning. And I got really focused on wedges. In 1990, I made a trip to Scotland with my brother, um, and I had a sand wedge. I hadn't really messed with wedges much and and uh, had been thinking about them a little bit, um, but the the tight turf over there was just really getting me. And I went into Octoloni Golf Shop and I saw a grinding wheel and I asked, just had an idea. I said, can I use this? And I ground the front of this wedge off and made it look just horrible. I took a bunch of, I, I ground it all the way up to the first groove and ground the hosel down a little bit. And I mean, it looked terrible. I, I packed a bunch of lead tape in the back of it to get it back to weight. And holy cow, this thing really worked. And that was the first iteration of what I call the Kaler Soul. I created a company. I actually took that soul design to a company called Merit Golf. And then I created my own golf company called Reed Lockhart in the mid-90s. Um, and, and kind of the offshoot of that soul design, Dan, was that I was putting more weight up in the top of the golf club. And along with the soul, that made these wedges really perform differently because there was considerably more mass up in the top of the golf club. And I, that's kind of something I've been pursuing, you know, since that time through uh, a company called Eidolon that morphed into SCORE. SCORE morphed into the Ben Hogan resurrection that uh, was a massive project that I undertook. Um, and then after I retired from that and, and took a powder for a while, I created a small company making a bird hunting vest, which is another passion of mine. And, um, and I started writing a blog again for another online community. And, uh, and people start saying, hey, when are you going to do wedges again? And I, I realized I'm not done yet. There are things I can do in wedges that I couldn't do at Ben Hogan that, and that I hadn't thought of yet, uh, you know, at SCORE and Eidolon. So uh, put together with a good industry, longtime industry friend of mine, Trace McDougall, put together Edison Golf and, 
and created this first generation of the Edison Forge wedges. And uh, to really pull out all the stops at, that I had at the time um, to create wedges that were just more playable for, for recreational golfers. And, and that's really where I differ from, you know, the other names in the wedge category, Bob Boki, Roger Cleveland, you know, some really talented people there. They're totally focused on tour players. And what we know about tour players is they're different than the rest of us mortals, even good lower digit, lower single digit handicap players. We hit wedges differently than tour players do. It's just a fact. I've studied thousands of wedges and amateurs bags. And so my whole thing is, you know, let the tour players have their guys that work with them. I'm out here for the rank and file amateur and saying, you hit your wedges differently. They need to be designed differently. So that's kind of the, the run up of my, of my history that brings me to Edison golf. So what you're saying is you've always really enjoyed just sitting on your hands and letting the world go by. <laughs> yeah, right. So I know I, you know, people talk about retirement. I'm 70 and and I feel 40 and I'm full of ideas and things to do. And so, uh, no, I, I love, you know, tinkering and I love seeing if I can do something better than I've already done. And that, that I don't see ever quitting doing this. I enjoy it too much. So I really, I really related to that, um, uh or that comment about modifying the wedge and adding lead tape to the top that really resonated with me because that seems to be a pretty significant component of the Edison wedge is to get that weight higher on the head and then um, to support that concept. And that's for things like spin and things like launch. Is that correct? Well, you know, it's, I, I think that what's interesting about the wedge category is, you know, if I look at my life in golf, I started playing golf with persimmon woods and blade irons because that's all there was. And then Carson comes along and links, you know, creates some cavity back irons and then metal woods come along and then oversized metal woods and then titanium. And now we've got carbon crowns and adjustable weighting, adjustable hosels. And we've seen these, these radical improvements, the advent of hybrids, you know, look at where iron designs are going, putter designs. I mean, nothing looks like a bullseye or an 8802 anymore. And yet wedges basically are unchanged. And by nature, they're the hardest club in the bag to master. We can get into technique of that. But, you know, nobody talks about forgiveness in wedges. And yet, you know, to your listeners here at Acros Paradise, I'll bet two or three percent of the people play a pure tour blade iron and, and they've opted for something, you know, more cavity back, more game improvement. Um, they're swinging a 460 cc driver. They've got hybrids in their bag. And yet they're playing wedges that my testing over and over and over for 20 years on robot. These are the most finicky, unforgiving golf clubs that we have in our bags. And yet 2% of people play a tour blade that Adam Scott and Tiger Woods play, but 98% are trying to play the tour wedge they play. And, and I, I can tell you, I'll put on Iron Byron a tour blade pitching wedge at 46 degrees and that same company's wedge, you know, freestanding wedge at 46 degrees. The tour blade 46 degree pitching wedge is more forgiving than the wedge at 46 degrees by like 35%. Wow. And it's it's all about mass. I mean, nobody talks about the club head in the wedge category. It's grooves and grinds. That's all they talk about. And I think both of those specifics to wedge design are minor influence at best. But if that's all you talk about, I mean, your listeners, it's all about grooves and grinds. And, you know, I, I challenge the whole notion of bounce fitting. It's one of my radical things I get into. But, you know, you're up there and don't know when your next golf is going to be played, but there's not a listener here that knows exactly what their next wedge lie is going to look like. Mm -hmm. 
Is it going to be tight? Is it going to be in a bumper? Is it going to be fluffy? Is it going to be in the rough? Well, how do you choose a bounce for something you don't even know what it is yet? And and yeah. the same by the same token, nobody takes the same divot every time. Some people take shallow divots sometime, deep divots other time, either on purpose or accidentally. We're going to make different divot sizes. Well, now, let's 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 break into the Kaler wedge design, the sole design, then because it's it's a sort of multi-component experience to where if you're hitting down or towards the the face of the head or sorry the golf ball you, you're imparting a different experience than you would be if you were trying to maybe flop the ball or hit behind it and and elevate a little bit what well, is what is unique about your design and and what, how does that differ from what people would generally experience well what the Kaler soul is and i received a patent on this after the trip to scotland and i came back and refined the soul design and and received a patent of putting two positive bounce angles in the sole of the golf club and the idea being is that if I have a steep bounce in the front third of an inch of the golf club, then and then a shallow bounce, a, a low bounce in the back part of the club, I basically have created a versatile sole. So if you're in a situation that requires high bounce, these two angles are going to act together to act like a high bounce. But by the same token, if your ball's sitting on a tight hard pan line, that low bounce in the back is going to allow you to hit that shot while the steep leading edge is going to prevent that leading edge from digging like it might if you had a, a pure six or seven degree bounce. Golf club would be unfunctional most of the time. And you don't have to think about this. Just go hit the shot. And I have customers tell me over and over and over again, I just don't have to think about the sole anymore. I'm not scared of it. I, I don't care if the lie is tight, if the lie is fluffy. I'm not afraid of it. I just can go hit the shot. And like any other wedge, if you want a little more bounce, you open it up a little bit. And the, the interesting thing about these wedges is I hit bunker shots with my 49. I hit bunker shots with my 53, my 57. It's just how, how far do I want the, the ball to fly? And a, a 49 laid open a little bit is going to give me a longer flight with the same swing than the 57. So, you know, they're all good bunker clubs. I mean, I even hit some bunker shots with my 45 because I want that ball to fly. I've got a 60 or 70 foot bunker shot. I don't want to swing hard enough with the 57. I'm kind of hit a chunk and run with that 45 and if I've got green to play with. So you know, I'm going to take the thinking out of that. And, and let's talk about the part of the golf club that really is, you know, works. I mean, we look at drivers, it's all about weight management of that 200 grams of that driver head. And we get high launch and low spin. That's the, that's the magic holy grail of drivers. Well, how do we get that? We put the weight as low in that driver as we can, carbon crowns, you know, ultra thin crowns, we're getting that weight low. Well, where's the weight in your wedge? It's as low as possible by nature. Forget the loft aspect. A wedge wants to launch the ball high with no spin. That's what the wedge wants to do. Well, I've, I've looked at 60,000 wedge fitting profiles over my 30 years, and 80% of golfers say they hit their wedges too high. Their misses come up short. They don't get the spin they want. It's built into the golf club you've got. You know, I'm sorry, but that is built into the golf club. And, you know, that goes back to the to the difference between recreational golfers and tour players. We, we approach wedge play very differently because we have to. You know, there, there. <clears throat> there, there is a certain component of selecting a grind that it can be uh, almost paralyzing for a golfer. You, you, you make a significant decision that impacts most of your play. Uh, and usually that 
is involved with what kind of grass do you play? What kind of swing do you have? Uh, do you feel like uh, other than the benefits of actually using the product, do you think the fact that they can just buy one wedge and experience all components is one of the biggest benefits of that? Well, I think that's the whole thing about the soul grind. I mean, let's compare, you know, our game to a tour player. So if a tour player goes to, you know, Scotland to play golf, they're expecting some tight lies and, and they play different wedges. I mean, they go to the van, they get tour wedges, but you know, I mean, how many wedges does a tour player buy a year? Zero. They get everything they want for free. So they can go from grind to grind to grind for every course. I mean, if they show up at a tournament and it rains Thursday, they're going into the van to get, you know, get bigger, higher bounce wedges. Well, the rest of us, we drop five, six, eight hundred dollars on a set of wedges, and we're going to play dozens of golf courses and dozens of different conditions. But that's the investment we made. They need to work everywhere. So, you know, I, and again, I'll have people challenge me about, well, I like this grind or that grind. If you're a great wedge player and you know a grind you like, I mean, you know, more power to you. But the fact is, do you really know that that's the grind for you? And and how did you determine that? You know, what were the conditions the day you might have have, you know, fitted that? And, you know, it's like driver fitting and iron fitting. You know, the fitting environment is different than the playing environment. And, I, you know, I mean, you certainly can't do it off of an indoor situation because there's no turf interaction. But, you know, what we do is we try to create a sole. Let's focus on getting your lofts right, getting your shafts right, getting your specs, you know, length, angles, everything right. Let's let, let the sole be as versatile as we can possibly make it. And are there shots that are tougher than others? Absolutely, regardless of what kind of wedge you have. But, you know, we, we try to do, and the feedback we get is this sole is really not afraid of, of any kind of lie. It's adaptable to any kind of swing path, you know, within the realm of the middle 90% of what could happen. So <clears throat> one of the things I think is really interesting is you offer your wedges in only odd degrees of loft, uh, and you certainly can bend them to add additionals, but what, what is the, there's got to be a bit of a story that is involved there. Well, I think there's, there's two things about that. When I first looked at, you know, where wedge lofts ought to be. And, and when we were doing score, we did every loft from 41 to 61 degrees. We could hit you right on it. I think that that's overkill. I think we did a little bit of overkill there. But when I look at irons, kind of the, the modern iron is settling on 45 degrees as the peak love, as I call it. I mean, it's not really a wedge if it's only got 45 degrees of loft and it looks like a five iron. But you know, so if you're going to gap, you know, at four degree gapping, which I don't like what the iron companies are doing, going to five degrees at the short end of the set. So that and they're cramming them down two and three degrees at the long end. I think it really should be different. If you look at what happens off of a, you know, launch monitor, if you look at your five degree gapping, you're spreading your distance differentials at the scoring end of the set. Well, you know, a 15 yard gap at at 170 is fine, but a 15 yard gap at 90 yards is not very good at all. So I looked at, say, how do I four degree gap these people off of 45 degree pitching wedges? Um, and then the other thing, when we went into testing on our environment, our 51 degree, for example, launches lower, flies further with more spin than any other 50 that we tested. So I've got one degree more loft, which comes into play on your shorter shots, but I'm still giving you a penetrating ball flight and, and spin that you're wanting on those shots. And so the odd number thing, and we can, if people 
say I'm a 52, 56, 60 guy, or I'm a 50, 54, 58 guy. Well, you know, that may be true, but if you really gap that back to your new pitching wedge and the new set of irons, because you used to have a 46 or seven degree pitch, and now you've got a 43 or 45 degree pitch. So I think golfers shouldn't be stuck on those loss they've always played, particularly if they're going to go to a golf club like ours. It, everything looks different off this golf club from what it, what you've been looking at off your other wedges. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting. I've had this debate differently for a long time where I would say the old traditional wedge construction was 52, 56, and 60. I personally moved to 50, 54, and 58, probably before most people would have, uh, mostly because I see no reason to have anything lofted higher than 58 in my bag personally. And then I actually went as far as to bend them all one strong just because my dynamic loft is a little bit up. And that has worked out unbelievably well. So seeing the odd number is actually pretty entertaining to me. But for my experience, that does kind of separate like a mental aspect. And, I, and I've played a 49 degree wedge. I played a 53 degree wedge. Just for whatever reason, it looks different, which is always really funny. That that's just sort of plays into the character of golfers are absolutely insane, right? <laughs> well, I'm not going to call them insane, but, you know, um, <laughs> The, the one thing, and I have a lot of conversations with golfers at demo days, and, and I've done this for years. One of the things I think that's that's challenging in the wedge category is what golfers think they know is sometimes not true. Um, you know, if I look at the wedge category, you would say that the only thing in a wedge that matters is the grooves and the grinds, because nobody talks about head design except me. And And I can tell you, if you look at every wedge in the market today, they're all putting a little more mass up higher in the golf club. Every every wedge out there, not one of them has a top as thick as my Reed Lockhart wedges in 1995. They're nowhere close to where I was in 2003, and they are way behind where I am in 2020, 2022 with the Edisons. I mean, I just believe you've got to get more and more mass up high. And, and here's the reason for that, Dan. If you look at a tour player's wedge or an elite amateur you'll see a dime or a penny-sized wear pattern right low in the face between the second and fifth groove. And, and people tell you that's where you have to hit a wedge. Well, if you play a conventional tour design wedge, that is where you have to hit it. And when you move a half an inch up from there, you're going to lose 8 to 10 to 12% of the smash factor. And you're going to get a higher launch because more mass is below the point of impact. You move another half inch up, even in the top center of the face, and you're going to see another 8 or 10 or 12% loss of smash factor. What? And I look at hundreds and hundreds of wedges. I've been a bagroom junkie forever. I'll go and play at a club and say, hey, can I go snoop in your bagroom for a little while before I play? And, <laughs> if, and I'll ask every one of your readers and your listeners, go look at your wedge and look at, at the wear pattern on the face of the club. And my bet is you're going to see not that penny size area between the second and fifth groove. You're going to see a half dollar or silver dollar area about four grooves higher than that. It's going to be at the fifth or sixth groove. It's going to be the center of your pattern. Well, when you hit it really low, you hit it where the tour player hits it. But when you hit it, what you consider sweet, you've lost eight or 10 or 12% of the performance at golf club with your best shots. Mm -hmm. We play fluffier fairways. We don't practice our wedges for thousands of hours a year like they do. And we hit it different. The, my whole simplified approach to wedge design is I'm going to design the wedge around where you hit it. And if you hit it down between the second and fifth groove, I'm going to give you the exact same performance of any other wedge. 
but if you get it a little high, a little low, a little toward the heel, a little very high ball sitting up in a rough, I'm going to give you improved performance because I raised the, the center of percussion, if you will, of that golf club. And, and, and nobody talks about the head design and wedges. It's all about grooves. I mean, I'm, I'll look at wedge ads, as you can imagine. The USGA changed the rules on grooves in 2010. That's what spawned the development of the score approach because they took away the sharp edge grooves. The USGA has not changed the rules on grooves in 12 years, and they're not going to likely. So the only thing we can do with grooves is push the envelope a little tighter because machining techniques. But I will tell you on a dry golf ball, having grooves or no grooves in our wedge only adds about 15% spin off of a pure smooth face golf club on, a, again, on a dry golf ball. The main purpose of grooves on a golf club is to channel moisture and content away from impact, like the tread on your tires. If you go look at dragsters they and you look at Indy cars, they run total slick tires on a dry track because they're maximizing the friction. But they have to run tread tires if they get some moisture on the track. The grooves on your golf club are not biting the edge of the golf ball and all that stuff. It's just, you know, they talk about improved spin 400 RPMs. Well, 400 RPMs out of 10,000, is not measurably significant. But I can tell you, I can add more spin by moving the CG of that golf club than I can by groove manipulation. And that's what the Edisons do. They spin like crazy, particularly on those 30 to 70 yard shots where you have reduced club head speed. You know, that's the shot that's hard to spin because you don't have that full swing speed. Anyway, mm. kind of, I mean, it's just, again, people think they know things that really just aren't true. So <clears throat> when it comes to the Edison wedge, I, I know we have a very visual CB design that's built into it, but I also see on the, the toe section, it's pretty pronounced there as well. Uh, and if, if I've seen 20 golfers hit it on the heel, I've seen 20 hit it on the toe. How, how much of a benefit when we start to talk horizontally missing do you get out of Edison versus a traditional bladed wedge? Well, what we see on Iron Byron, and, you know, that to me is you can isolate what the club head does on an Iron Byron. It's not, you're not pinching the ball off the turf. It doesn't simulate real impact. What you're doing is isolating. What does the golf club really do? And we put the top brands of wedges on Iron Byron, and we, we mapped out this silver dollar size space, half dollar size space on the face. And we looked at a center hit. We put the low hit down in the second or third groove, about the low as you can get without blading the ball. And then we we charted shots off of five impact points in the center of that silver dollar, half dollar, and then high, toe, heel, and low. And we looked at the dispersion pattern of, of where those 50 shots ended up. And we saw conventional tour design wedges throw a 52 to 55 foot pattern, you know, at 90 yards. And, because of our weighting, that same impact pattern through a 21-foot pattern off the Edison's. So your best shots are going to be great. If you hit it perfect every time, play anything you want. You can play a persimmon driver. You can play you know whatever you want if you hit it perfect every time. But our cavity back irons, our 460cc driver, they're all designed to let us get away with things. That hybrid is designed to let us get away with things. And that tour design wedge doesn't let you get away with anything. You know, that half-inch miss is going to cost you 30 or 40 feet. With my wedge, it's going to cost you 12 or 15. That's money, even if you're not playing for any. You know, it's about how good are my average shots. If I'm 90 yards and it's sitting in the rough and I'm going to catch it a little high in the face, I still need it to go 90 yards. 
I'm not going to process. I'm going to hit it a half an inch high, so therefore it's going to go 40 feet shorter, so I need to take one more club. If you're not going to process that, it's a 90-yard shot. It's a gap wedge. I'm going to hit a gap wedge, whether it's in the fairway or in the rough, and I'm going to expect it to go 90 yards. The problem is with the tour design wedge, you hit it up at the seventh or eighth groove, it's not going 90 yards, it's going 84 yards, and now it's in the lip of the bunker. And, and that really is what drives me with the Edison wedges is I want to give you 90 yards out of that shot. If that's your number, 110 or whatever your number is, I want to get as close to that with your miss hits as I can to a perfect shot. And, you know, you hardly notice a quarter or a half inch miss with a modern driver, but you sure notice it on a wedge. And, and that's, you know, heel toe dispersion to your question. That's vertical dispersion, you know, and the thing about a wedge is I've got a golf club with 50, 52, 55 degrees aloft. The ball sitting up a quarter inch moves impact up the face a half an inch. So it doesn't take much of a miss to get that ball up in the center of the face with a wedge. Hmm. So, so <clears throat> excuse me. That's really interesting. Um, and I have a question that I've really been sitting on here because I'm, I'm curious about your response. When you talk to wedge designers, product designers, I'm really curious to know what your thoughts are when it comes to what wedges we should be playing you know I, i've had this debate a hundred times but i haven't had a thousand about you know a lot of amateur golfers or you know guys who aren't on tour don't need a 60 degree in the bag they should definitely move more closer to their irons uh, and then on the other side there's been this you know 10-year debate on well these companies are creating wedges with their irons maybe you should think about putting two wedges in the bag and running through with your your set design through there. Do you have a, a personal perspective on any of that? Dan, you know better than to ask me if I have a personal perspective. on <laughs> I do. So yeah. here's what I think is funny about the, the set of golf clubs in our bag. So let's say you carry a 10 degree, degree driver and a 60 degree lob wedge. You've got 50 degrees of loft in these and take the driver and take the putter out, but you got 50 degrees of loft in these 13 golf clubs. So, Midway between those is 35 degrees of loft. Well, 35 degrees downward, you've got an iron design. You've probably got a hybrid design, six or eight degrees below that. Then you got a fairway wood design, six or eight degrees below that. And then you have a driver design. So you have four completely, maybe five, if you have carry a driving iron, you have four to five completely different golf clubs to get from 10 to 35 degrees. But from 35 to 60, you've got two. You got your iron design and your wedge design. So there is just as much difference between a 35 degree club and a 42 degree club as there is between a 35 degree club and an 18 degree club. There's, there's a lot of difference in, in how loft reacts. I mean, nobody says, I love my five iron. Would you make me a driver that looks like that? Nobody ever said that in the history of the world, but yet you've got a five iron at, at 27 or eight, six degrees now, and you're putting an approach wedge and a gap wedge that are designed to look like that five iron. And, and, and there's, you know, 20 degrees difference in those golf clubs. They are very different animals. And, you know, you don't really see it in the, in the Edison wedges much, but there's a progressive movement of the mass in that golf club from 45 to 50 to 55 to 60 degrees to optimize what happens to the ball off of that particular loft. And I've always challenged why you want five iron technology in a nine iron or a pitching wedge or much less in an approach wedge. 
This is five iron technology. It is designed for high launch and low spin at 25, 28 degrees a lot. Well, when I get to a 47 or 50 degree golf club, I'm already going to get high launch by the nature of the law. 80% of golfers tell me they hit their wedges too high. Well, then you're going to go to a set matched approach wedge with all the weight in the bottom and a thin face. You are aggravating a hot spot. You're aggravating high launch. You're, ag you're aggravating low spin. And, you know, high launch and lower spin with a five iron is great, but it's not very good in a 50 degree gap wedge or approach wedge, whatever you call it. So, I'm a, you know, you see a lot of players going to blended sets and a few companies have tried to make blended sets, but we've kind of had it beat into our heads that a match set of irons means they all look alike. Well, you know, again, that 48 degree club can't look like the 28 degree club, no more than the 30 degree club can look like the 10 degree club. I mean, at, at 10 degrees, it's a driver at 14, it's a fairway wood at 19, it's a hybrid and at 22, it's an iron. So again, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. You've got to design that golf club of what do I want this club to do? I want this club at 48 degrees to be a consistent full swing club to deliver repeatable trajectory, repeatable distance, repeatable spin, regardless of whether I hit it perfect or not. That 56 degree club, I've got, I'm going to do a lot of different things with it. It's a green side scoring tool, but I also use it as a full swing club. So Again, we have different jobs for these different clubs, and I think each club has to be designed for the job we're assigning to it. So <clears throat> is there any distinction between the 45-degree lofted experience out of Edison and the 64? Or are they fairly similar? I'm sorry, is there any difference? in? Yeah, uh, do they share the design characteristics of each other other than loft, or is there subtle differences that make them unique? Well, the, the sole configuration is is different for each each loft through the set so we're tweaking the sole bounce angles i mean there's two angles here on the 45 degree loft that that leading angle is like 16 to 18 degrees the rear angle is three you get up into the 60 degree and then 61 63 that leading edge goes to 25 or 30 degrees the trailing edge goes to six or seven but it's wider so you know when we talk about bounce, it's not an absolute of the ang of the of the degrees. It's also a function of the width of the sole. So I could make a sole with three degrees of bounce, but I could make the sole that wide, and it's it's going to perform like a high bounce golf club. It's three degrees, but it's very wide. By the same token, I could make a club with thirty five degrees of bounce with, and some have done that, but make the sole you know a half inch, and then then it's got z negative bounce in the back. And it's going to act like a high bounce wedge at times. Um, so bounce is a combination of sole width and the bounce angle. And, and bounce is really hard to measure because almost all of us make wedges that the bounce at the center is different than the bounce at the toe or the bounce at the heel. We're all doing that. I mean, that just makes a good golf club. You know, you bevel that heel off a little bit and it may have six degrees bounce in the center, but only three, you know, back toward the heel. It may have seven or eight up toward the toe. When I lay it open, I'm trying to get a little more bounce in play. So there's always those nuanced grinds and things we do to make wedges different. And I've been doing the Kaler sole in some iteration or another. It was the dual bounce sole. It was the V sole. Those are trademarks belong to other companies now. Um, but, you know, I continue to tweak on this. And I, last year, I think it was very interesting. Somebody posted on your site or one of the others that they got a sneak peek at some of Tiger Woods wedges and they were 
opining that maybe Tiger was grinding his own or he was having the tailor-made guys grind. And he's basically putting my kind of soul grind on his golf club. I had somebody uh, actually challenge me that, you know, my soul was just a copy of what Tiger's doing. I said, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I patented it when he, was 11, when he was 11 years old. So I don't think it really is what Tiger was doing at 11. So, but you know, it works, it, it just works. And um, you know, we, we, you know, not to get commercial, but we build everything with a with a risk free trial. You know, you, you got to put this golf club in your bag, and I, I mean, I think you can buy a driver out of a hitting net. It's off of a tee. Turf doesn't come into play. You can look at the numbers. I still challenge a little bit of hitting twenty drives in the net, thinking I can hit the magic formula for what you take to the first tee. But I think it pretty much works. But you can't buy wedges off of a, a mat and a net because you don't have real turf interaction. Mats are very forgiving. Um, and you're not going to see the dispersion pattern in the hitting bay that you'll see, you know, in a round of golf or two rounds or five rounds. So we like people to go get one of our wedges, put it in your bag for 30 days, hit all the different shots you face on the courses you play. You're going to find yourself getting away with things. I mean, that really is what it's about. Perfect shots. Hey, those are great. We all love them. But what, what about your average shot? What about your less than perfect? What about your not so good? Um, I take great offense. There's one wedge out there advertising no more chunks, no more skulls. As an old ad guy, I despise advertising that's just flat out untruthful. And that is flat out untruthful. A chunk shot is you made impact behind the ball and I can't do anything about it. I made the wedge. I didn't make your swing. Same thing if you hit it in the eyebrows. I can't fix that. I'm a wedge guy. Um if your impact has moved around the face a little bit, yeah, we can we can tweak on length and angles to, to get you back to center face. But if you can't make contact, nobody ever made a wedge to prevent chunks and skulls. I, I resent that somebody's trying to sell that. <laughs> well, hiding it, I suppose, would be the better argument, but I see exactly where you're coming from. I, I don't know a wedge design that can hide a skull. It is what it is when you hit the equator. Exactly. Um, but what about uh, circling back to the question a little bit, do you think there's like a magical law for most people where they shouldn't go past? Like I refuse to go past 58. I think it's diminishing at that point. I can open up a wedge face and make it 65 as easy as uh, anything else. But I feel like the validity of using that 58 as my final wedge is a lot more versatile than putting a 60 or 62 in there. Do you have a, a thought specifically on that? Well, I think the wedges, I wrote a, a blog post a while back about why wedge mastery is so elusive. And, and in my research, less than 15% of golfers say their wedge play is the strength of their game. 40% say it's the weakest part of their game. And I think that's because wedge play is difficult because, you know, you've got the loft on a wedge. Everything is a glancing blow to the ball. Whereas with a driver, it's a very direct blow to the ball. And as you move things around, the dynamics of loft are changing very little. But in a wedge, the dynamics of what energy is imparted to the ball are changing dramatically as you move impact around the face of the golf club. Because the CG of that golf club is in very different places based on different impact. So I think by nature, lofted clubs are a little more challenging because of the glancing blow. Um, I've seen people that are recreational golfers of eight or 10 or 12 handicaps that are great, but they're 60. I think you should play the highest loft club that you're not afraid of. And if you feel like this club is saving me strokes and, and if you are honest with yourself and look at, you know, the six shots you hit today with your 60 and, and how were they, how did they come out? 
And, and if the answer is they were all really good, then carry the 60 by all means. We make loss all the way to 63 and have bent some to 64 for people. If you believe that works for you and, and, and you're objective about it, then go for it. I personally think, I mean, you look at some of the great golf was played by Tom Watson and, and some of these magicians around the greens and they carried nothing higher than a 56. Um, so, but Tom Kite was a master with the 60 when it first came out. They said he could hit it in a hula hoop over and over and over at like 63 yards or something. But again, it's how much time are you going to give it? I think, I mean, in my bag, I carry a 45, 49, 53, 57. And I use the 53 around the greens a lot because I can lay it open and hit a little bit of a flop shot. And it's a little more forgiving laid open because it doesn't have all that loft. I'm not going to just completely cut under the ball with it. And yet I can still get loft and spin with it. 57, I use around the greens when I need to. But, you know, I'll hit a lot of shots around the greens with a 49 or even a 45 if that's what I want the ball to do. And one of the things I find, particularly in that intermediate range of, you know, 30 to 70 yards, I hit those shots a lot with my 53 instead of a 57 because I get a penetrating ball flight. If I scoop it a little bit, I still get the ball to go forward. And it has plenty of spin on it because of the nature of this club head design. You know, it's still got a lot of mass above the impact point. That's what causes spin to happen is in golf. We talk about the gear effect and we talk about it mainly in horizontal misses. If you hit it out toward the toe, the ball tends to take a draw spin. If you hit it to the heel, it tends to take a, a fade spin. Well, that's true vertically too. The higher up in the face you hit it, the less spin that ball has so because all the mass is lower than the impact point. So again, if by keeping as much mass up in the golf club as I can, I'm optimizing gear effect on those mid-face hits and, and even the high-face hits. So it's pretty simple golf club physics if you study golf clubs. Yeah, I suppose. And <clears throat> the, that, that was my takeaway always was the more, the less loft I had to work with, the less the face I could interact with the ball. And you mentioned that you're not afraid of. And I don't think the term for me would be afraid of it. It's just uh, not as useful, I think, is my perspective. Because, you know, the freedom to to open the face of a wedge is certainly greater than the freedom to do it with a five iron. So, you know, that versatility is something I've always really enjoyed. Um, well, and there's one. Point, so, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. Your point, then, is like with that high lofted golf club, I have more distance volatility as I move impact vertically up and down the face. In that lower loft golf club, I have less distance volatility, if you will. My smash factor is more consistent. So mm -hmm. in that shot, if distance control is ultra critical, which in wedge play, that's what wedge play is all about. I mean, if you pull it or push it, again, I built the golf club. If the face is open, it's going right. If the face is closed, it's going left. I'm sorry. I can't fix that. But, you know, in distance control, if you stay in those 52 to 56 degree range of golf clubs, your distance control is going to be better. And the odds are you're not going to lose spin. You're going to lose ball height, you know, but ball height is not necessarily always your friend. I mean, I, I live here on the Texas coast. It, if I was going to play this afternoon, it's blowing 20 to 25 out of the North, but two days ago it was blowing 20, 25 out of the South, but that's the way we play. I don't want the ball floating around up there. I want it down as much as I can because of the conditions we play in. But um, you know, again, I think that that question aloft, I would encourage anybody to go out and, and, and play around the golf and, and don't take anything higher than your 56 for any shot and see what you can do with it and see what your results were like and how, 
How many times did you feel like it hurt you not having the law of versus, hey, that worked out pretty, pretty sweet, you know, and, and just every shot you hit, hit it with the next lower loft wedge. You know, that shot that you'd pull your 56, go down your 52 or, you know, 54 to 50. And uh, I think you know, it's, it's always fun to experiment. I think everybody should play one recreational learning round for every three to four rounds they play with their buddies for $5 Nassau or whatever. I mean, it's, you're always can learn something out here. Mm-hmm. So the one thing we haven't really talked about is where it all comes together, and that's the shaft. Um, I've, I've been more than guilty plenty of times of just going with what's already built into the club head, and I have a feeling that you don't particularly agree with that sort of logic when it comes to wedges. Well, I think the shaft, and you know, the old saying, the shaft is the engine of the golf club. It's no less true in wedges than it is in a driver. Um and, and I, my principles of shafts and wedges are this. I think you should play a shaft slightly softer than whatever's in your irons to facilitate the touch shots. The pros do. Most of them play an S400 in their wedges and X1s or whatever in their irons. Um, I think you should definitely be weight matched and preferably material matched. So if you're playing 80 gram graphite R-Flex in your irons, your wedges should reflect that. You know, maybe it's a 90 gram R-Flex, maybe a hair heavier, but for Pete's sake, don't go take wedges off the rack with 120 or 30 gram steel stiff flex shaft and expect that you can make the same swing with your set match pitching wedge and your gap wedge. When those clubs are 25 to 40 grams different in weight, you can't make the same swing. It's physically impossible. You know, your body strength is, is, is X, whatever it is. So we offer six standard shafts from the KBS line. I'm a big fan of KBS. They've worked with us. I'm a big believer in parallel tip shafts. I put a little bit of secret sauce in the way we tip so we can kind of get that flex profile where I think it optimizes for wedges. But we offer a, a KBS PGI 80-gram graphite and an A-flex, 90-gram R-flex, 100-gram stiff flex. Then we shift over to steel. We've got a KBS 110 R-flex, 120 S-flex, 130 X-flex. But all of these are going to be a hair softer than what you might think of as an S-flex or but that said, God, there's no standards in our industry and nobody knows what a stiff is anyway. Um, I mean, I see that all the time. People bring clubs in and and I like to tinker with stuff. And our general manager of our country club came in and he had bought a new set of irons from one company, shifted brands. And he said, I, I'm just, I can't hit these things. What's up? I'll put them on the frequency machine. This company's stiff shaft irons are 30 cycles stiffer than this company's stiff shaft irons. <laughs> So 30 cycles is like the whole world and iron flexes. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you don't know what you're getting half time. I, that frustrates me, but it is what it is. Well, I'd, I'd love to know as we wrap up the show here, what is next for Edison? What What is the outlook here? Are you going to focus solely on wedges for the time being, or are we going to start to mess around with some other stuff or what? what's the plan? Well, the answer is, am I messing around with other stuff? The answer is always. I'm always messing around. I'm The driver world, I'm not interested in. Uh, that's rocket science. I'm more interested in in the simpler golf clubs, wedges and irons. Uh, I've done a lot of putter designs in my life. I've seen some things out there I really like. Um, I think there's some interesting technologies and putters. You know, I'm, I'm still focused on wedges. I'm not as far as we could be yet. We're miles further than anybody else in the category for our target market, which is your listener. Um, your recreational golfer. I don't, I wouldn't spend a dime to go out on tour. Somebody will sooner or later just happen across one of these and hit it. They'll figure out this is better, but you know, a tour short game is so honed to feel and touch 
you know, a club that launches and spins differently might be a hard adjustment until they see that their proximity to the hole on their full swings is getting better. I read something, and I'm a big believer in PGA Tour stats, but people think these guys knock the flags down all the time, but the tour average from 75 to 125 yards is 20 feet. It's not the six or the two feet that you see them hit on the weekend. You saw that shot because it was one of the best of the week, and they show that. they got cameras everywhere. They're collecting the best shots. But if you think if a tour player averages 20 feet, he hits a lot more shots outside of 20 than he does inside of 10, a lot more of them to get an average at 20. He hits shots outside of 30 and 40 feet from 100 yards. You don't get to see those because that's not good television, but he's hitting them. How else does he get a 20-foot average? So I, I implore people, look at the best 70% of your wedge shots, and how does that compare? You know, throw out your worst 30 if you're looking at what your average is because the tour player rarely hits it in the eyebrows and rarely lays the sod on it. But they hit it high in the face like the rest of us do. Um, I've got some new things and wedges I'm working on. Don't know when they're going to be ready. I'm not going to market them until they are. Um, messing around with some more technologies. Um, but the Edison wedges are, they were better than anything on the market when we put them out in 2020. They're better than anything in the market right now when it comes to dispersion pattern and, and forgiveness. So they're still the best on the market. I don't I don't have to subscribe to two-year product cycles or whatever. I, we'll, we'll introduce something when I have it and I know it's better. As far as and other things, <clears throat> I'm always thinking about that stuff. <laughs> Well, the, the other thing I really enjoyed doing is I went through your wedge fit. That was a solid experience. Uh, sort of made me think about my own game a little bit more than I wanted to this morning. But uh, it was nice to get not only a four-degree gapping suggestion from your group, but also a five-degree. That was really, uh, really interesting. I enjoyed that. Well, you know, our thinking is let's get let's learn a little bit about your set makeup, and then let's get your gapping. You know, I, I personally believe in more wedges, and, and I think that if anybody looks at their scores – and, and look at how many, you know, we asked how many full swing wedges, you know, how many greens are you missing? How many times are you putting one of those two or three wedges in your hands versus how many times you put the hybrid in your hands or how many times you're putting fairway wood in your hand? And, you know, you put the driver in your hand 12 or 14 times, you know, you put the putter in your hand 30 to 40 times. Um, but how many times you put the wedges in your hands? I look at the wedges collectively. You know, I've got a, a set of scoring clubs of two, three, five clubs you know, how often am I relying on these clubs to get that end score? Um, and typically, you know, it's more than you'd like. And I always say, when you have your wedge in your hands for the second consecutive shot, things are not going very well for you. You know, that wedge needs to you put a putter in your hand the next shot. So that's what we strive for is to help you do that more often. Well, it's been very enjoyable following along with the wedge testing that's been going on in the Hackers Paradise community. It's always fun seeing what you're up to, Terry. Do you have any final thoughts or questions for me before we wrap the show up? No, I mean, I just, you know, encourage the listeners. Hopefully a lot of people have tuned in and hopefully today they've learned something about wedges. They didn't know to be true. Um, you know, we're, we're all about putting clubs in your bag that are going to help you score better. And if you put an Edison in your bag and it doesn't help you score better, by all means, send it back. I don't want anybody out there with a club in their bag they don't like. And, that's when we offer our risk-free trial. You know, we'll ship it to you free. If you don't like it, we'll send you a return label. Uh, right now, we're including a sleeve of Encore balls if you put in that uh, that code, the free sleeve. And, you know, I mean, keep them. It's a great golf ball. We love these guys. They do a great job. Best wind ball I've ever played. But, you know, we want you to just take that, take that step. You know, challenge us. Challenge your 
you know, brand A, brand B, brand C wedge with what we're doing. I think I'm, you're, you're going to see the Edison win more often than not. I mean, it, this is this is different technology and it, uh, it takes a little getting used to seeing the ball end up closer to the hole all the time. Something we can figure out. Well, you well, heard yeah. it here first, golfers. Go check out Edison Wedges, see what they're up to. Terry, it's always a pleasure. And if you are playing golf out there this weekend, have a great time. We will chat with you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.